0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C level executives, leaders of institutions, and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. Today is an exceptional academic who has written a plethora of articles and papers. He has studied in some of the most prestigious education establishments in the world and now is the president and a professor of the world's number one ranked business school. Today it has talk, it's all about business, leadership and education. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Jean-Francois Manzoni is the president of IMD, the International Institute of Management Development. He also serves as the Nestle Chair Professor. He has co-authored a number of books as well as written papers and articles for the Harvard Business Review and Financial Times. We may touch upon them in the course of this discussion. Additionally, he has had a number of speaking engagements and interviews to include the BBC and the World Economic Forum. Finally, Jean-Francois is a member of a number of boards. And panels to include the Russian Presidential Academy of National Economic and Public Administration. There's so much more I can add to this introduction to Jean-François, but let's hear from him instead. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jean-François to head's talk. Delighted to have you here today.
1: Delighted to be with you, Elaine.
0: Thank you. Um, am I right in saying you recently achieved 75 years of IMD?
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, IMD. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. IMD itself is thirty-some years old, but IMD is the product of the merger of two institutions, and the first of these institution was indeed created seventy-five years ago. So we are indeed celebrating seventy-five years. Yes.
0: Okay, that's fantastic. That's that's a major milestone, and also um, another thing that in my research, um, IMD's executive education programs um, has, have been ranked number one in the world by the Financial Times consecutively for the last nine years, 2012 to 2020. Firstly, another congratulations on this amazing achievement and once again, absolutely delighted to have you here today on Head Headstalk. Okay, um, I want this episode to concentrate on a few things in your remit, um, as well as areas where I've had the question but no answer to them. So let's begin with this. Um, let's look at what I would consider a, a changing educational model. Everything has been impacted by the pandemic in the last 18 months. And one of the impacts was the requirement for remote working and training. This is not a new concept in IMD. In fact, a large percentage of your training is done remotely, as you call it, live. I think technology mediated training, that's the one. Um, nevertheless, This must have had an impact on organisations, companies and education establishments that would cause perhaps a shift in their policy, approach, philosophy even, facilitating a rethink. My question to you is, do you think there is a a lasting legacy, a, a lasting way forward for institutions generally on how education is delivered to those in the further education world?
1: Yes, I think there's there's no doubt in our mind that IMD, that the impact will be lasting. And and I think that we were uh, maybe a little bit lucky. Maybe we had a little bit of foresight, but we, we realized, A, that the crisis would be probably more than a few months. Mm-hmm. And, and so we thought to ourselves, A, we really need to get uh, up to speed very, very quickly because this is not an uh, uh, an issue of waiting for three months and this goes away. So so we, we really need to get up to speed. B, once people are used to interacting with us through technology mediated solutions, clearly we were thinking then and we still think now that there will be back to face to face, but probably not as much and not as exclusively as before. So absolutely, we anticipate that the future will involve more technology mediated interactions. Uh, And why? Because, A, it's efficient, meaning that it saves participants a certain amount of travel, uh, Mm -hmm. which has both time, energy and financial implications. But also what we have found out is that we can, through these technology-mediated interactions, also create, in some ways, more effective interventions. So when you Mm -hmm. have something which is both more efficient and more effective, uh, in all likelihood, this is going to stay. So we anticipate a future that will be much more blended than before.
0: So with this increased blended learning, as you call it, this is sort of virtual learning and digitalization. Is there a, this is kind of a marketing question. Is there a different type of competition for education establishments to be the most attractive organization for individuals on a global level? Can you tell us your thoughts on this? I mean, you, you talked about it. I mean, are people more conscious of their CO2 footprint and are less willing to travel for educational reasons now? What are you seeing here, jean
1: paul So the, uh, everybody's estimate is that uh, the, um, sorry, private travel will resume rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, business travel will resume, but much more slowly in part you're right there is a greater consciousness these days of the co2 footprint but i don't think it's only that i think it's also the fact that you know where many of us would have traveled internationally you know including all the way to asia for a mm-hmm. two hour meeting and then coming back that night i think increasingly we're looking at this and we're saying hey we've been on we've been on zoom uh, mm-hmm. on some other platform with them for a year and a half uh, if it's two hours i'm not flying so We anticipate that, again, we will have people back on campus, and and right now we do. We have a resurgence of, of presence on campus, but we also indeed anticipate lasting changes. So first of all, clearly, there are a new breed of programs that have appeared, programs you call them live. So those are programs that involve a certain amount of asynchronous on-demand material, but also involve synchronous or live interactions. So we are talking, you and I, we're, we're live. Um, mm-hmm. We're not physically together, but we are talking in a synchronous way. So, so these programs uh, indeed do not require any form of face-to-face intervention. That clearly will stay. Now, this is leading to an interesting dynamic from a competitive point of view because now, the geography doesn't really matter. And so clearly, people in Europe can attend programs developed by U.S. schools. Uh, U.S. participants can, can attend programs developed by us. There is still the time differences that, that affects our ability to serve globally. Uh, but indeed, these new programs are available on a global basis. Now, what's also changing is the fact that within each program, whether it's a custom program or an open program, honestly, we don't think that going forward, we will ever again propose a program which is 100% face-to-face. There will always be some technology-mediated interaction. Why? Well, for the reason I just mentioned before, because it's efficient and because it's effective. So what this will also do is it will mean that the face-to-face component of the programs will have to be particularly interactive. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes two or three years ago, you know, before COVID, on occasion, you know, we might talk for a long period of time. We might, quote unquote, lecture uh, to a group. And I think that increasingly people are saying to us and we're saying to ourselves, look, if I'm just going to lecture you, you know, what I'm going to do is we're going to catch me on video and I'm going to send you the video before before we meet, because if we're together at the same time, by the way, whether it's face to face or through technology mediated, but if we're together synchronously, then let's make the best use of it. And the best use of it is interactive and and is a discussion. So so new programs appearing, new uh, modalities within program, and three, uh, a change in pedagogy, for live synchronous interactions that are going to become even more interactive than before. So, so you're,
0: you're pretty much optimizing face-to-face sessions, and everything else can be everything else can be done in sort of virtual means. Then, by all means, we do it that way. So that's, so that's the change you're telling me.
1: Well, yes, it is indeed part of the change. Now, let, let me say we continue to believe that there is a role and a value to face to face interactions. Clearly, when human beings gather together at a time and a place and, and can work together on a specific <laughs> set of issues, very good things happen, right? Including the energy that you yeah. get from working close to people. It is relatively rare that after a 90 minute session on Zoom, you have the same physical yeah. buzz than you have when, when, you know, this morning I happened to be in a classroom in our high performance leadership program. And you know, you, you come out of that classroom and you felt the energy of 50 participants who were with you during that session. And, and, and clearly there's a, a level of physical uh, energy that you don't get as much through mm-hmm. technology-mediated mm-hmm. interactions. But, but the point is we have learned to use these technology-mediated interactions very well We have been surprised by how much we can do with them. And also you have to recognize the fact that these interactions, these technology-mediated interactions allow you to be in touch with executives over longer periods of time. Mm -hmm. When you come to IMD physically, you can only stay for a few days. But if I can be in touch with you through technology-mediated interactions, I can be in touch with you for three months. Mm -hmm. And that's very effective in terms of ensuring gradual deepening of discussions and also in terms of ensuring that people will retain the information more indeed indeed
0: well let's move on Uh, i'm looking forward to to your answer to this question so uh, let's look generally and widely at um executive management training and executive education what is your understanding of the difference in executive management approaches in the West, where we are, as opposed to the Far East? And also, what can the two regions learn from each other?
1: First of all, I, I, so I understand the question, and, and, and indeed, it's, it's, it's a very reasonable question, but please allow me to say that I, I've lived by now, you know, in a number of countries, quote unquote, in the West, and, and they looked pretty different to me. And, and, and I also had the opportunity to leave, quote unquote, in the East, Uh, I lived in Singapore for five years, but traveled extensively in in Asia, Mm -hmm. and and there are very, very substantial national differences. So so I don't know that there is a a Western approach to executive uh, uh, development, nor do I know that there is an Eastern approach. I think that national differences are, are very substantial. I mean, you know, whether if you have in front of you a U.S. group, it's going to be very different from a French group And from Mm -hmm. a German group, by the way, if you have a Swiss group, uh, trust me, a French speaking Swiss group is not Mm -hmm. behaving the same way as a German speaking Swiss group. So so I don't know that there are some these these big, big uh, differences. Having said that, having said that, uh, clearly some regional differences exist. And indeed, in the East, in general, in general, what we find is that relationships matter Considerably. The the balance, if you will, between performance, emphasis on performance, and emphasis on relationships tilts more on the relationship side in the east than it does in the West. Also, that comes often with a certain degree of conflict avoidance. There is conflict avoidance in the West as well, but but there are a number of countries in the East, and again, differences. Also across countries, but as a general rule, uh, as a general rule, people tend to be a little bit less uh, uh, confrontational and also as a general rule, Asian cultures tend to be more high context, meaning that you are going to have to read more stuff between the lines. So from an executive development point of view, what it means is that as a general rule, as a general rule you expect a little bit less active participation in Asian-dominated classrooms. Also, you want to be very careful when you create experiential activities not to create situations where people are going to fail and potentially lose face because the sense of embarrassment can, can come a little bit more quickly. But honestly, I don't think that those are dramatic differences. You know, again, you have to adapt with the group that you're working with and and the adaptation is going to be required by the industry. You know, if you work with a car company, it's not the same thing as if you work with a high-tech company. So so for us, we have a number of principles. Engaging people in their learning is one of those principles. And we are going to engage the participants, whether they are Asians or, or Americans or Europeans. And again, within Europeans, different countries, the way we engage them will probably be different because, as I said, in Asia, there is a greater focus on relationship. There is a, a bit as a general rule, a bit more conflict avoidance, more less direct uh, conversation. And, and certainly you, you want to be uh, uh, understanding of the fact that you need to read between the lines more. So you want to protect uh, mm. people's uh, well, a sense of competence. Uh, and certainly avoid them losing face.
0: Okay, that's fascinating. Thank you for that. Fascinating. Okay, you you know, when I I did um, my series of interviews in the, the spring and summer months on the hospitality industry, there was a running theme about how the service they are delivering has become more individualized and customized, and digitalization enabled a lot of this, and they... leaders in the hospitality space responded to the new need they even had a name for it um sort of which escapes me at the moment so with this ever changing situation we are living in and more emphasis on individualization of service for customers will there be customization of the curriculum for individuals in the education sector do you believe soon that they can um, dictate what they want in a program for it to be delivered by whatever means, is that the way we're
1: going? When you say dictate and do wherever, you, wherever they want, uh, maybe that's a little bit further than where I would go. But, but clearly, we believe that the technological developments have enabled more personalization. Now, we mm. use the expression personalization as opposed to customization mm. because we customize programs for organizations. That we have always done we think that uh, when we talk about individuals, we would prefer to talk about personalization. So two types of personalization. First of all, even within customized programs, we can personalize the journeys by giving people different access to different resources. So you, your company has asked us to develop a program to make people more agile. Mm-hmm. But within this agility, some folks are more interested in the leadership side. Others are more interested in the process and operational side. Well, we could have some common parts to the program, but then within the program, we would say, look, those of you who are more interested in the leadership side, here is the, 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 um, the uh, um, on-demand program that you can access. By the way, we could also develop something synchronous, but certainly mm-hmm. asynchronous is already available. uh, And and of course, other folks who are more interested in the operational side would have access to other materials. So so we can offer people a larger choice of material because they don't need to be here all the time at the same time, right? If they're here all the time at the same time, they can only meet one professor at the same time, right? Uh, Or I can divide the class, but then it also increases the costs. But if you are going to access some of our uh, content through technology-mediated interactions. It's easier for me to create either synchronous, meaning live, uh, connections or even more easily and economically, asynchronous availability to various kinds of materials. So we can offer personalized journeys on that front. Also, Also, on the asynchronous material, so the on-demand material, this demand, this material always involves some videos some you know some games some aspects if you design this material intelligently you can design that material with with loops and with uh, and with specialized areas where you say look if you're really interested in this click here and if you're not really interested go directly there so the technology mediated interaction particularly the asynchronous material if you develop it intelligently, can include possibilities for people to personalize their relationship with the material by going in greater depth here or in greater depth there. So, indeed, technology in enables a much greater personalization of learning.
0: So, so this is happening in IMD. Is this happening
1: widely elsewhere? I am less familiar with what is happening in other schools than mm. what is happening with us. But, But... But for us, it is happening uh, It is happening at an increasing pace because similar to what, what you were describing in the hospitality industry, yeah. um, again, I think we live in a world where executives are saying, including not only to us, but also to their company, uh, look, this, you want me to go through this, but I've already done this. And, and so yeah. why do I have to do it again? By the way, w- we also have this with, with our MBA students, right? Who are saying, some of them are saying, look, I'm already a chartered accountant. Why do I have to take this accounting class? So the notion of personalization has always been there to some extent, you know, you would create elective courses. Now with technology, it really enables you to offer much broader access. And Mm -hmm. and if you have much broader access, then by definition, you can give people some choices on this front. And then, as I said, within any given course, you can design the material in a way that enables people to go more deep if they're interested, or skip and go to the next topic uh, if they're less interested or already proficient.
0: Let's continue with change, um, permanent change perhaps. Um, I've spoken with a, a number of uh, this, this podcast, Heads Talk, is all about talking to executives. I've spoken with a number of group C suites, executive suite suites um, of multinational organizations. And they are all telling the story of how their role has morphed as a result of a, a number of things, to include the pandemic, digitalization, changing needs, staff well-being, etc. Let's talk about the executive table synergies and um, how has that changed with the the advent of these new things. Do do you believe, for example, the CIO has? Uh, more of the ear of the CEO in, in today's world than perhaps the CFO? Or has the CFO's role morphed considerably now? For example, the phrase that, that they keep using that I keep hearing when I interview them, business partnering. Um, p- please talk, talk us through your thoughts in this space. And, and afterwards, if at all, how has that impacted you, um, your executive management program at
1: IMD? There is no doubt that over the last few years, Mm -hmm. Whether you call it the fourth industrial revolution or the digital revolution Mm -hmm. uh, has had enormous impact on basically every organization. And so as a result, there is no doubt that technology and its implications in terms of competition, in terms of client expectations, in terms of also possible additional efficiencies internally have become discussed much more actively uh, in the C-suite. In this context, we have indeed a number of companies that have created chief digital officer roles, Mm. Uh, and and those chief digital officers in some organizations can be extremely influential. But you also have other organizations that have said, I don't need a chief digital officer, I need all of us in the executive team to be very conversant and and very uh, proficient in our understanding of A, the technology, and B, its potential implications. How the organization uh, manages that aspect, I I think will differ across organizations. But what is clear is that CXOs in general need to understand more and more the role of technology and how it changes the basis of competition today Mm -hmm. and tomorrow, that's for sure. And organizations also need to make uh, investments Uh, that uh, enable them to basically stay in, in, in those games. And one of the things we have observed during the crisis, and this was identified by a number of my colleagues working in various research centers at IMD, is that organizations that were already further along in their digital journey tended to do better during the crisis, during the COVID crisis, right? Some organizations were already extremely digital in their interactions with customers. Well, when everything closed down, clearly they were one step ahead. Some organizations also were quite good at integrating technology in their own internal operations. Well, basically they, you know, for them meeting on Zoom or on Teams was already something that they were doing quite a lot of. So, so clearly we live in a world where all executives need to understand technology and its implications. Uh, mm-hmm. And in some organizations, actually, you would want, indeed, to have specialized units. Uh, well, then, clearly, from a CFO point of view, indeed, in some organizations, the CFO is also uh, overseeing some of the support function. What is clear mm-hmm. is that if the CFO is in charge of technology, well, that CFO needs to <laughs> uh, make the effort to, uh, to understand uh, how technology is changing, what the organization can do today and tomorrow.
0: And I find that a lot has to be extremely tech-savvy and fintech-savvy to, to keep abreast of what's um, happening right now and, and ahead.
1: And if, um, I may, if I may, Elaine, just uh, yeah. uh, on a semi-humorous note, but only semi-humorous, uh, actually, that's, you know, that's kind of what we do for a living. Um, so one of the things we do at IMD is, is we work with executives and with organizations to, to help them along that journey, we help with executives. who say, "Hey, I, I already understand this pretty well, but I'd like to understand it even better." And then we work with organizations that say, "We we think we've progressed on it, but but it also seems to us that we might want to progress more more uh, rapidly." So so there is also help for in for executives and for organizations out there.
0: Let's end this episode of Heads Talk with this. Um, I would like you to hypothesize a little and give my listeners your thoughts on the following general traits of the executive of and in the future. Um, What will be the priority characteristics that need to be exhibited by um, executives to not just survive, but to navigate and and thrive in this rapidly changing world? What will the new executive look like in 10 to 20 years time?
1: So I'm really glad you asked. I have a fantastic three and a half hour session on this. Um, (laughs) Can you narrow it down? Of course, let me try to summarize it in two minutes. First of all, why why is this different from it used to be? Because the world is becoming increasingly complex and it's changing at an ever more rapid pace. And so there is really this notion of what got you here as an executive or as a company won't get you there. There's really a clearer and clearer understanding that, that the methods we were using, the techniques we were using will will need to be adapted simply because the world is changing in ways that that are very hard to predict so in that longer lecture i I talk about the need for executives to be very strategically savvy because the basis of competition the basis of value creation and value capture change ever more rapidly it's very very difficult these days to defend a competitive advantage so they will need to be very good at that they will also need to be very organizationally savvy because organizations are becoming more complex before there was a boss a subordinate and the relationships were clear now you have three-dimensional matrices with 17 different temporary structures and and so it's much more and by the way in a much more geographically dispersed sort of way so it's harder to get things done so uh, we could talk about organizationally savvy, strategically savvy, but for now, let let me say one key word here. I think that the exe- the successful executive in 10 to 20 years will be first and foremost a great learner, a great mm-hmm. learner because... Because again, there is no way that we're going to be able to teach you everything you need to know by the end of your 20s or by the mid, by your mid 20s, you will have to continue to learn throughout your career. And, and so that includes learning about you as a leader and about your behavior as a leader. And, and if you want to continue to grow as a leader, there's going to be three aspects. One is awareness. You're going to have to be aware of the way you function of why you function this way and the impact it has on others, you cannot manage what you're not aware of. So if you want to be a lifelong learner, first, you have Mm -hmm. to be aware. Two, you have to learn to be more mindful and more present. Because if you're not present here and now, then the habit wins. So if you want to learn and to become a better version of yourself, you have to teach yourself to be more present here and now. And third, so awareness, mindfulness, and third, reflectiveness. If you want to be a good lifelong learner, you have to be able to reflect on what happens, what you did, what others did, why it turned out the way you were hoping it would or not, and what can you learn from this. So so we are trying to help leaders to become lifelong learners. Obviously, we're trying to help them learn stuff while they are with us, but But they can't be with us all the time. So we also need to equip them with the capabilities to keep learning in years to come. Mm -hmm. And and at a leadership level, this includes uh, developing their awareness, their mindfulness and their reflectiveness. Be
0: a lifelong learner. I I like that. And what better place to do that than in the IMD itself. Um, Jean-Francois Manzoni, a delightful conversation. Many thanks for your time and insights.
1: It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of international. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.